We are in 1 Samuel 30. All right, let me just catch you up to speed. Man, we are making our way through the book of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, the Kings, the Chronicles. We're going to be working through these books. And it's been a journey. Um, we entered into the life of David in chapter 16, and I've been like looking forward to that. Now, we're kind of in the middle of just, or the end actually, of David's wilderness journey. As you know, David and Saul, Saul's the first king of Israel. He was like the, the promised king. He was the king that people were like looking for, but he's basically failed them in every way. And so God raises up David, the shepherd king from Bethlehem, the humble king, the, the king that faces the Goliaths. God raises up David. David is loved by the people. Saul becomes jealous and bitter. He's pursuing David. And it's just been a wild ride week after week. If you're with us last week, we actually did chapter 26 and 27. Just to catch you up, we called the sermon like deja vu because David walked through very similar experiences. David actually had a second opportunity to kill Saul. He shows up at Saul's camp, at Saul's base. Everyone's in a deep sleep. David had an opportunity to kill him. He doesn't. He so, shows Saul from a, like a different mountaintop, goes, Saul, look it, here's your water, here's your spear. I could have killed you, but I didn't. Saul repents a second time. We've already read that story essentially before. We saw Saul go, oh, David, I'm so sorry. I don't know if he really is, but I, I don't want to kill you anymore. I don't want to pursue you. Like we've seen this. Here's how it ended last week. It ended in 27. We were in 27. And it ended with David going to Achish, king of Gath. He's a Philistine king. David's not praying in that chapter. God's name is not mentioned once. It's not mentioned that David's seeking God. But for 16 months, we know that David lived with Achish, again, king of Gath. He's basically serving, in a sense, a Philistine king. He's kind of lying to him. David's doing his own little mission work. He's doing his own thing. But he's essentially working with the enemy. And I reference chapter 29, because in chapter 29, the Philistines are about to go attack Israel. And basically, David goes with them. He's about to attack his own people. Then the other Philistine kings in the area say, no, 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 this guy, David, cannot fight with us. And then Achish goes, David, I trust you. They don't. So I'm sorry you can't fight. David was this close to fighting against those people. I don't know if he actually would have, but he was with there. He showed up to that. Now, here's where we are in chapter 30. And I wanted to kind of show it this way because we kind of broke it up a little bit differently. We did 26, 27, reference 29, very short. Uh, today, we're looking at 30. And then we're going to look at next week, chapter 28. It's where Saul seeks a medium. And there's so many questions I know. I've had some people ask me, like, Saul sought a medium and he actually saw Samuel. What is that story about? We'll get to that next week. But it goes from that story to the next day, Saul's going to die in battle. So I want to kind of put those stories together. And I want to look at this in 1 Samuel 30. So stay with me. Here's the idea. This was, it's been 10 years. 10 years of David on the run. At least 10 years. Some speculate 15. But David's been on the run for a while. He's the anointed king of Israel, but he's running from his life just constantly. He's now living in a sense and working for the enemy. He's not in a great place. And here in chapter 30, we're going to read about his wives, his children, the men's wives, the people like the, the, the 600 men with David. Everyone's kidnapped. Everyone's heartbroken. David is kind of, I feel like, at the, just like the end of his rope. Now, why this is so important is David is about to be anointed king. Remember, just so you guys know, First and Second Samuel, they're not two different books. In the original Hebrew Bible, this is one book. So David in chapter 1 and 2 of 2 Samuel, just in a couple chapters, like he's days away. He's days away from being anointed king, but he doesn't know that. Like we know the story. David doesn't know the story. He's about to be anointed king, but he feels like here's one more battle. I just lost my wife, my kids, all these men around me. They're heartbroken over losing their families. Our city is set on fire. And I don't know if you've ever had moments where you feel like you've been hit with wave after wave or like thing after thing, and you kind of come up for air and you're hit with thing after thing. And you're like, I'm exhausted. Like I am tired. 
you know, and it's really, again, David doesn't know. He's like at the end, but it's almost like, David, you're, you're right there. You're about to be anointed king. Like, do not throw in the towel. Like, don't miss it, man. Like, you have an opportunity to either give up right now or to press in. And we're going to see that David's going to press in. He makes the right choice. This is what makes David different from King Saul. But this is so important for us because, again, I don't know if you've ever been at that place where you're like, I'm just wiped out. I feel like this week, this month, this year, these past couple of years, it's been thing after thing after thing. And you have no idea, like, is the end even in sight yet? Like, are my clo- is, is this almost over? Maybe you feel like, I don't know about you, but when it comes to wilderness seasons of the Christian life, two weeks to me is a long time. I'm like, all right, I'm done, right? David's like 10 years, 10 years of this. And again, he could have thrown in the towel. Thankfully, he doesn't. And I want to learn from him because this is, again, we know the story. We know he's about to be anointed king. He doesn't know that. And I want to learn from David. Like where and how did he find strength in the Lord? How, how did he actually end up basically bringing redemption to these families and these men? And I want to look at this. This is so powerful to me. Because again, I feel like if you feel like you're at the end of the rope, if you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm just done, you might be in a place to experience breakthrough. You might be in a place where God like shows up in a powerful way. You know, the title today is, is simple, but it's end of self, beginning of God. And you may know that famous quote from Billy Graham. He says, essentially, when we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God. And maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've experienced that. This really is so true, I'd say, in in my life, where you kind of go, I'm just done. Like, I'm tired. It's like, but what are you going to do in that moment? Are you going to double down and press in? Like, okay, Jesus, I'm tired, but I'm going to press in. I'm going to double down on the gospel thing. Or are you going to kind of throw in the towel? But so often it's when you come to the end of yourself, you come to the beginning of God. God's like, okay, now I can show up. I really do feel like David's like, I'm just so wiped. All these men are so, you're going to see, all these men are ready to kill David. And this is where God shows up. It's like at the end of your rope. So I want to look at this. Can we just pray first? Can we do that? Uh, End of self, beginning of God. That's kind of the focus. That's what we're looking at. What did David do right in this? He finally did something right after a long time. Um, So why don't we just pray? Let's do that. Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you that we get to read your word, study it. But more importantly, Jesus, we get to know you. You are the word. You, you are the word made flesh who dwelt among us. And Jesus, we ask that um, this would be so much more than us growing in information. God, would you just do deep work in my heart, in our hearts? Jesus, if we're just exhausted and tired, there's so many, obviously even right now in our state, who've experienced loss. And Jesus, I just ask that... Um, this truth of just coming to the end of ourselves. That's when we begin, we begin to see breakthrough. We begin to see you. We, we begin to kind of say, it's not my way, but your way. And I just ask God that everyone in this room that maybe they're tired of fighting and that they would ultimately surrender and say, okay, Jesus, what do you want? I'm seeking you now. Help us to learn from David in this. Help us to learn and just look to you. And we just want to thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. You know, there's um, this phrase in the book of Hebrews that I've been thinking about all week and kind of just been resonating with me. And it's just a few words. The author of Hebrews says, you have need of endurance. And man, I have need of endurance. If there's anything in my life, I feel like I've always struggled with endurance. Like I just, sport-wise, physical-wise, spiritual-wise, like endurance is so key. I'm the guy that gets winded the fastest. I don't know. Just, that's, the, that's me. When it comes to endurance, I have need. And that phrase, like just spiritually, you have need of endurance. 
it's funny, my, my daughter, I don't know why, I just, I hear her voice right now on it, because whenever we go on like an outside walk or do anything, she's three, and she just does that classic, you know, and her voice is so cute, but it's so, yeah, it's crazy. But she goes, my legs are tired, and I just hear that voice, and I'm like, my legs are tired too, and you have to carry her, and you're like, oh, I get it, I'm, I'm with you, babe. Like, I, I feel the same way. And I have need of, we have need of endurance. And I want to finish that verse. It's in Hebrews 10, 36. He says, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may have received what is promised. I feel like this applies so well to David. David, you need endurance. You're almost there. When you've done my will, you will experience what is promised. You are the promised king, but you need endurance. Like you need to finish well. You're almost, it's so weird because we never know when we're kind of at the end of the wilderness season. We don't really know. We have no idea. David probably thought he was done so many different times. Like Saul twice is like, all right, I'm done. And he's not really done. Like you, you have no idea when you're really at the end. And so I'd say we do have need of endurance. This is so important. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie or read the book. Uh, remember Unbroken? Remember that movie came out like 2014? Angelina Jolie like directed it. It was so cool. The story of Louis Zamperini. Maybe you've heard that story, read that story, saw articles like years ago. But I remember like sitting in the theaters watching that story because I didn't really know his story before that. And Louis Zamperini, he was the, the Olympian, 1936 Olympics, turned war hero, fights in World War II. You know, I think his plane either is shot down or mechanical failure. His, his plane goes into the water. He's 47 days like on a raft at sea, 47 days, just cooking in the sun, very limited water, very limited food. He finally sees like a boat. It's the Japanese. He becomes a prisoner of war. You see him like for years in like this movie. I don't know. Watching the movie, I feel like I needed endurance. Just when you're watching his life and like he's being tortured, beaten, starved to death, sickness. I mean, it's like a thing. After, I remember watching going, when will this end? Like I have, you're, if you've ever seen that or felt that, you're like, this is awful. Like I don't, I couldn't have made that. There's no way I could have like walked through that in my mind. And you, you hear of these stories. You're like, how did you get through that? How did you endure that? His story, honestly, is very powerful because he's obviously a prisoner of war for years, ends up, you know, being saved and released, gets back to the States, becomes a drunk, actually goes to a Billy Graham crusade in 1949. And he's a, a drunk, he's abusive, gets saved. His life is radically transformed. And he ends up creating like a ministry for like at-risk youth. And he lives into his 90s. I mean, an unbelievable, his, man, his life was absolutely changed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's like ignored in the movie, obviously. They're not gonna show the Billy Graham crusade, but it was just so powerful. And you read those stories and you go, oh, Lord, I don't know if I have that. Like I have need of endurance. I wanna do your will. I want to receive what is promised. But for me to get there, I need that endurance. You know, I, I want to just read this verse because in Hebrews 10, actually the author says this, and I thought it was so profound. He says, but listen, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Listen to that first part. We are not those who shrink back. We don't shrink back at trial, at wilderness. We're not those who are destroyed. That's not, our, that's not how God has wired us. Listen, we have need of endurance. It's crazy because when you look at even what the author, he's writing to an early church that is being persecuted, meeting in catacombs, meeting underground, being fed to lions. I mean, you, he, this, he's writing to a church that really needed endurance. And I'm like, oh man, what the early church went through and what I'm going through, so different. But it feels like just as exhausting or I'm just as tired. It's by no means even close. But in our way, you're like, God, this is hard. I'm tired. And here's what I want to say. When I read this story in 1 Samuel 30, David was truly as, at a pivotal point. It's like he's about to be king. He doesn't know that. He's about to be king. Saul's about to die. We're gonna read that in chapter 31. He has no idea all that's gonna take place. 
and he had an opportunity to give up or to be stoned by his men or just to say, I'm done. This is so exhausting. God, you promised me I'd be the king, but it's been 10 years of running away. Like, what is going on? And I'm very thankful he didn't throw in the towel. And I would just like look at some of you today and be like, please, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, don't throw in the towel. Like, don't give up. You might be at the end of yourself, but this is when breakthrough can happen. Listen to what Alan Redpath said. I love this quote. He says, it is indeed true that the darkest hour in a man's experience is always just before the dawning of new light. Just, just before the darkest hour, right before the dawning of new light. There's just this idea in scripture of like death and resurrection. You're like, oh, I just can't do anymore. And then God's like, yes, now I can show up. Now I can be at work. You guys following me? Yes? So as we're going to jump into the story. Here's how we're going to kind of break it down and we'll move th- uh, through this somewhat quickly for a couple of points. But here's the four points. We see what David did. Let's learn from David in this. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. He engaged with the Lord. There's action. And he's inspired by the Lord. He does something very similar to, I think, what the Lord Jesus does. So we're going to read this, break this down. First one is this. Uh, he's, encouraged in, he's encouraged himself in the Lord. Let's read verse one. All right. Here's the story. Ready? First Samuel 30, verse one. It says, now when David and his men came to Ziklag, this is where they're staying. On the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. And they had overcome Ziklag and they burned it with fire. They burned David's home with fire. And they'd taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. All right, let me just kind of, kind of paint the big picture here. Uh, the Amalekites... And the nation of Israel definitely had a long history with each other. As soon as Moses and the nation of Israel cross into the promise or cross into the wilderness, if you remember, they're basically being picked off by the Amalekites. I mean, the Amalekites were cruel to the, Israel, to the Israeli people. They're cruel to them, constantly wiping them out, constantly at war with them. Uh, and you see this over and over again. We're told that in 1 Samuel 15, God tells King Saul to wipe out the Amalekites. He doesn't obey God. And actually they're experiencing the consequences right now of Saul's disobedience. So there's a long-standing, dis, like, like basically war between the Amalekites and the people of Israel. They get back home. David and the men, remember, they're not allowed to fight against the nation of Israel, chapter 29. They're not allowed to fight against some people. That's good. They're sent back home. But they get home. Their city is set on fire. The women, the children, they're taken captive. They're alive. They don't know that yet necessarily, but they're alive. I would actually think about that. Sometimes you're like, it might be worse being taken captive. What they do to the women, what they do to the children, the torture, the things they'd walk through. You'd be like, oh, they're alive at least. Like, I don't know. Is, is that good? I don't know. It could be just as bad. I mean, I honestly, I, I can't fathom this, by the way. I really want you to put yourself kind of in these David's sandals <laughs> and a 600 man sandals, right? Put yourself in this situation for a second. When you think about coming like home to your city and you're like, oh my gosh, things on fire. Women, children, our goods, everything's gone. I can't imagine that level of hopelessness and despair. Obviously there are people right now who don't have a home, like in our own state. It's crazy. Things taken away by a flood in a sense. But your women, your children, but also taken captive, like you're an enemy of war, like you're a prisoner of war. You have no idea what they're doing to them. 
I can't imagine, like, what are they doing to my kids? My, like, what's going on? That hopelessness and despair. You know, I had, I had a friend from West Africa uh, who was taken captive as a child soldier. Some of you even know this person or two, but a couple different friends. When I sat down with them, listened to their story. Like, I'm like, I want to hear your story more complete. And it's crazy to think about like, the war that took place in West Africa. Uh, this friend of mine, he was working in the fields, like a little bit far from home. He comes home. He goes, I just remember coming home and basically seeing our village on fire. No one's there. I'm scared. I run. I hide in the bush. Eventually, I get captured. They try to brainwash us, give us a gun. I try running over and over again. People keep capturing me, bringing me back. And you hear that. So I'm like, and I remember just asking, like, what was that like? Just coming, your child, your child coming home. Everything's on fire. Like, everyone's gone. And he's like, the, the level of despair is, you can't even put into words. I mean, that's where David's guys are at. Like, that's where David's guys, my, our, my wife, my children, everyone's gone. Every man, every 600, the men come back with him going, everything's gone. And you can imagine, they go, they want to stone him. This is King David, by the way. You've never seen this. Like, David's mighty men, they want to kill him. Like, you don't see this ever take place until right now. They're like, they're mad at David, obviously, understandably so. Like, they are ready to stone and kill David. I mean, that, I can't imagine that. Now, this is fascinating to me, actually, by the way. In Exodus chapter 17, before Moses uh, fought the Amalekites, you can read the story in Exodus 17, before he fought the Amalekites, the people of Israel wanted to stone and kill Moses. And now, now here's David, before he fights the Amalekites, the people want to stone and kill him. It's like following very similarly in the footsteps of Moses. And this is going on. And imagine that level of like, oh my gosh, my own men want me dead. I probably want to die. Like, I'm just, I'm so done. Do you notice the words? They were greatly distressed. They're weeping to the point they just can't weep, weep anymore. They're just so tired of crying. They're like, I, I have no more strength in me. That is where they're at. And then this is what it says at the end of verse six. In that moment, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. That is unbelievable. I had to like sit with that phrase. Obviously, this is the turning point. This is really interesting to me. David, in a sense, hasn't been really seeking God from our understanding. 27, chapter 27 16 months working with the enemy. We don't see him praying. We don't see him writing Psalms. There's nothing attributed at that time. We don't see God's name even mentioned. And now here he is, everything's gone. And he's finally strengthened himself in the Lord. Listen, I hate this point and I hate this thought, but you know it's true. So often it's when we experience loss, God will use us to bring us back to this place of surrender to him. It's like so often when you're like, I have lost everything or I'm gone. Like what, what else? It's sad, but so often God uses tragedy and different things that bring us to our knees to bring us to him. Like I wish we didn't have to learn the hard way, but I think sometimes God's like, David, like it's been a really dry season for you. You've truly been in the wilderness working with the enemy. And it's like at this point, David's like, God, I need you. Listen, sometimes God will use tragedy to wake us up. Like we, sometimes we just like, and no one wants that. No one wants to go through that, but it is so good when you wake up. We need to wake up. There's times, spiritually speaking, I don't want anyone to go through tragedy to wake up, but God's like, I love you and I care for you so much. I need you to wake up. Like, what are you doing? Romans 13, 11, This is just such a profound verse to me. He says, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for our salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Listen, you hear that? He goes, now is the time to wake up. Wake up. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Wake up. Listen, I want to say, don't, I, I try, you know, I know it's out of your control, but don't learn the hard way. <laughs> like, wake up. If, if you feel like you're in this place where you're just kind of doing your own thing, like Dave, just doing his own thing, attacking different villages. We saw that in 27, kind of doing his own thing. Listen, wake up. Like, wake up. 
our salvation is now nearer than when we first believed. It's sad, but again, it's when David's brought to his lowest point. That's when he strengthens himself in the Lord. But I also want to just rejoice in that. I also say, thank you. I'm so glad David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. This is so important. I've been really thinking about like, what does this mean? You know, when you think about that phrase, he strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. There's so many different people like commenting on this and they, they assume, it, we really don't know what this looks like. I think it looked like a mixture of just repentance. Like, God, I've been off. I'm so sorry. I've been doing my own thing. I think it's a mixture of repentance, of worship, of all the Psalms we read where you see like hopelessness and despair and then this turning point, but God, you are my God and I will seek you and I will trust you. And like, I think this is like this turning point for him. I really do believe. I think it's a mixture. What does it mean to strengthen yourself in the Lord your God? I think it just means like, in a sense, you're like, God, I'm turning to you, not my way, your way. I'm gonna trust in you with all my heart, lean not on my own understanding, not all of my ways acknowledge you and you'll direct my steps. It's, it's kind of that idea. David's like, I'm looking to you now, God. Listen, if you don't learn how to strengthen yourself in the Lord your God, I don't know if you'll ever have spiritual like success or thriving in your life. Let me say this. I hate this, but it's, it can be true. So often in our lowest points, we want our, the, our Christian friends to reach out. Maybe you want me, you want to pass, you want a friend, and you go, why is no one reaching out, calling? Maybe people aren't aware, they don't know, but you go, I feel like no one's near me. And let me say this. It's very important to learn to strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. I don't want you to have to do it alone. But there's moments like David's men are ready to kill him. No one's like, David, David, it's okay, buddy. You're doing a good job, man. I'm like, no, he's none of that. It's like all of our wives and children are gone. Let's stone him. And David's like, oh. he, he strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Listen, this will be so key to your spiritual life. When you feel like I'm isolated, I'm alone, or this is just, oh, God, everything's going wrong. Strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. I'd say that for me, what this looks like is sometimes just turning on worship music and being quiet for a little while. Maybe you don't even have strength to worship or maybe you don't have strength to pray. You don't have strength to read or you're just tired. Maybe just be still and know that he's God. Maybe just sit at his feet and be like, Lord, I'm tired. I'm gonna just turn on the worship or to re- just turn on scripture reading something. For me, it's like driving a lot of times in my car and just turning on a sermon and just like, I need my mind to kind of go there with the Lord or turn on worship or it's just whatever it could be, just going on a walk. For me, it's walks. I love walks. I need to get on walks. I need to go on walks and kind of be alone for a little bit. I might put in headphones and pretend I'm listening to something so people don't think I'm just a weirdo walking around. I don't know. But it's like, go on it. Do that. Seek the Lord. Spend time. Strengthen yourself in him. You know, for me, it's just weird. This obviously, you know, not to get too into it, but you guys know a couple months ago, when our son had his, our son had a, a freak out moment where we opened the back seat and he's not breathing, he's purple. We showed up at the doctor and that fear just overwhelmed me. We run in like, hey, my son's not breathing. Ambulance shows up, all that stuff. Thankfully, nurses got him to breathe and he was in the uh, PQ for six nights. And just like, this is two months ago. And I just remember going home that night. My wife stayed there six nights. I have the other two kids and I had someone come over and I just like, can you come over so I can just go on a walk? And then I just remember coming home and just sitting in my backyard. And just like, Lord, I don't, just processing that. The questions, the thoughts, the fears, the why did I respond the way I did? Why didn't, you know, all the things and just kind of going, Lord, I need, I need you to strengthen me right now because I have no strength. And if you've been in that place, you're like, Lord, just, I need you to strengthen. Like, I, I've kind of come to mind myself here. I can't, I, can't, I can't strengthen myself. Like, I need you to strengthen me. David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. And I think that's what, it begins with that. His God, it's personal. Do you really know God in that way? For so many of us, like we know God in a theoretical way or in a Bible study way, but do, we, do you know him as the Lord, your God? He strengthened, like this is, God, you're my God. Early I will see. Like all the Psalms I read of David, I feel like they come to life here in this moment. And I think verse six is just a clear turning point. 
Listen, when you're kind of at the end of yourself, number one, we see David encouraged himself in the Lord, and this is so key to our life. Yes, amen? Because why? The Lord is near the brokenhearted. We know that Psalm 34, David wrote that. He goes, the Lord is near. Listen, when you're brokenhearted, call upon God. Why? Because he is near. He's near. When you're grieving and walking through loss, it's like, know this, you can call upon him. So I want to keep going. That's number two. It's inquired of the Lord. We see him now actually like turn his face to God. Hey, this is so cool. First time he's like seeking God again in a while. Verse seven. It says, and David, he said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, he says, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord. Here's what he asks. He goes, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. I love this. David inquired of the Lord. Remember, 27, he's not praying. He's not seeking God. That's kind of where it ends. 29, he's going to war with his own people. Now David begins to seek the Lord. And know what I love? God's not like, well, 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 David, where have you been these last 16 months, right? The Lord, he's just quick to respond. How cool is that? Isn't that amazing? He was so quick to respond. David says, bring me the ephod. Remember the ephod was kind of that spiritual breastplate sort of thing. The urim and the thummim, they had these rocks that the priests would use back in the day. It's kind of a cool thought, but the idea of like seeking God and that God would respond so often in that, like yes or no, but God responds specifically, speaks to him. But when David has this heart, he goes, bring me the ephod. And God's not like, David, but I haven't even like, see, you've been doing your own thing for 16 months. Now you want to call upon me? Sometimes I think we create this caricature of God like that. Like when we sin or blow it, and we come to God and God's like, oh, whoa, I see what you're doing last night. Now you're calling upon me. It's like, no, no, I just love that. It's like, uh, it's open. The door's open. God's like, okay, yes. Actually, do you know what he says? David's like, shall I, shall I pursue them? Shall I overtake them? Do you know that God answers that and more? I don't know if you caught this last part, but it's in verse eight. We'll throw it up there again. He says, pursue for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. Not only are you going to overtake them, but you're going to rescue them. God's like, let me answer and give you more than what you even asked. You're going to rescue. You're going to bring them back. Imagine the hope that did for him. Just imagine the idea that God was so quick to respond. That is so encouraging to me. This old school author, B.W. Newton, listen to this. It's a longer quote. He says, see the goodness and perfectness of the grace of God. There was no delay in, his, in this answer. No reserve, no ambiguity. More even was told than David had asked. He was told not only that he might pursue, but that uh, he should surely recover all. In a moment, the black cloud of sorrow that had hung so darkly over David's soul was gone. Agony gave place to joy. And he whom his companions had been dooming to death stood suddenly before them as the honored servant of the Lord his God, commissioned to pursue and to conquer. He did pursue and all was as God had said. Just God is so faithful when we call upon him. Why do we have not? We ask not. Or we ask amiss. We need to ask. We need to say, you know, Jesus told ask, seek, knock, ask and be given, knock, it'll be opened. There's just something about, Lord, I'm calling upon you. Again, do you notice this prayer, by the way, it's so short. I think sometimes also the enemy has this thought in our mind, like, well, you better pray long. You better, the longer, the better. When, Ecclesi- when Ecclesiastes is like, no, no, you're God in heaven, here I'm on earth, I'll let my words be few. There's this idea of like, oh, can I tell you God will answer the small, quick prayers? God is so good that way too. It's like Peter walking on water and everyone's like, oh my gosh, Peter's walking on water. And then he just starts looking at the storm like, this is freaky. And as he sinks, he just says, Lord, save me. And Jesus is like, is that all you got? Lord, save me. You should really, like, no, beg me. Like, no, there's just a quick little like, Lord, save me. It's just like, Lord, shall I pursue? I'm just saying there's something, God is just, 
God is so much better than we think he is. God is so good. God, you want to answer? I've been far from you. I've been wandering. God, I just, I'm not even repenting yet. I'm just going, God, help. God's like, I'm going to help. It's David wrote in Psalm 34, 17. Listen, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. He, He hears. It's Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Can I tell you, God was near the brokenhearted. This is a perfect time to call upon God. Perfect time. We know he's near the brokenhearted. So call upon him while he is near. (laughs) Like, so if you are in that state, if you are in that place, listen, he is near. So call upon him. Seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Yes. And then he finally begins to inquire of the Lord. And no, it's cool. When I read this, I go, man, it'd be so cool to have an ephod. Like, who doesn't want an ephod? It'd be so great. I'd be like, oh, Lord, do this? Okay, perfect. Yeah. Can I tell you? But the Bible says in the New Testament, it's like, we have something better. We have a great high priest. We have a great high priest. It says, come boldly to his throne room of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. You know it's cool? I want an ephod, but I have a high priest. I want an ephod, but I have Jesus, the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We have something better than an ephod. We have the throne room of grace that is open and God's like, come on in. That's better. Yes, that's better. The throne of grace, not the throne of judgment, the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace in time. And right now, God's throne is a throne of grace. It will be a throne of judgment. But right now, it's a throne of grace. Come to that throne. Don't go to the next throne. Come to the throne of grace because he will give mercy and grace in time of need. So David inquires the Lord. Like there's something happened. So he engages with the Lord. Uh, we see him inquire of the Lord or he's encouraging the Lord. Number three is he engages with the Lord. So he basically, there's action. There's prayer and there's action. Look at verse nine. So David set out and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook of Basor, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook of Basor. That's understandable. They're tired. So 200 men, 600 men with David, 200 stay, they watch the equipment, 400 about to go with David on this pursuit. But notice these two phrases. It says, David was set out. David set out. Verse 10, David pursued. The whole idea is this. David prayed, God answered, but there's still work to do. And I don't know if we always kind of get that. Like God answers prayers, but there's still work to do. God's like, yes, go, go pursue. You're going to rescue everything. But there's also like, go, go to work. Like, yes, pray, right? Yes, pray, seek the Lord, inquire of him. But don't be like, he answered, yay. And just sit there. Like, no, okay. Now it's like time to go. And that's what David does. It's like, it's time to go now. He, David pursued, he set out. This is so important. There is that dynamic, I don't know, in scriptures that we see. It's like we rest in the answers that God has given us. And then we also kind of work with God. Like we rest in what God has done, but we're also like, all right, now I get to work with you on this. Oh, I I have to like go and like now fight. Like you're going to bring them into my hand. You're going to do it, but I'm going to fight. There is that dynamic. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Paul's like, I am what I am by the grace of God. And the grace of God to me was not in vain. He goes, I labored. I worked harder than you all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Have you guys ever read that in 1 Corinthians 15, 10? You can put the verse up, but it's, it's fascinating. He goes, I am what I am by the grace of God. I worked harder than everyone but not I, the grace of God that is in me. I don't know. I just love, only Paul can say that. Only Paul can. But there's something beautiful about that. He's like, if, I'm any, if there's anything in me, it's by the grace of God. I still had to work. I still, I still worked hard. I still labored more than anyone, but it, even that was the grace of God. There's this idea of like, oh God, anything good in my life, I can't be like, look what I did. Look what I, David can't be like, look, I overtook them. He's about to overtake them. The people are about to celebrate and praise David. And so it's gonna go from stoning to like, David, you're the hero. And the idea is David realizes though, no, no, no the Lord gave them into our hand. So I had to work, but who gets the credit? God. 
And so this idea of like, I'm going to engage with you, Lord. Like you answer, right? You, you're the God who answers prayers. You're the one who does this, but I still work with you. Yes. So church, like, yes, we pray. But we also like work with the Lord in that prayer. So we go, yes, God be with Hurricane Ian, but also like, how can we serve and help? There's like both. Like we're going to do both here. Both are necessary. Both are beautiful. It begins with prayer. It's the Lord who does it. It's the Lord who gets the credit, but we're also working with him. Yeah. You guys follow me on that? Now next, we're going to see a really weird little side story about this Egyptian. Listen to this, verse 11. They, so David, they left the two hundred men. Verse 11, they found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David and they gave him bread and he ate. They gave him water to drink and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived for he had not eaten bread or drunk water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong? And where are you from? Like you're not from around here. He said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to an uh, Amalekite. And my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We had made a raid against the Negev of the Cherethites and against that which belongs to Judah, your people, and against the Negev of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag, where you live, with fire. (laughs) He's admitting to participate in this. And David said to him, will you take me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. We're going to see in verse 16, David takes him. Now, this is a weird little side story. Here's this Egyptian guy. He was a servant to one of the Amalekites. He's serving him. He gets sick, so they leave him behind. You know, pretty cruel. Uh, they basically leave him for dead. So he's this Egyptian guy. David finds him. Who are you? Where are you from? He goes, my master left me here. I've been sick. I haven't eaten or drinking for three days. David and his men show him a lot of mercy. They feed him, give him cakes of figs, which sounds gross to me, but really good to them. Uh, but they give him some stuff. He felt revived in his spirit. He feels alive again. Three days, three nights. He's brought back to life in a sense. It's like, okay, thank you. Hey, swear to me that you won't give me back. I don't want to go with them. I'll, I'll go with you. I'll show you where they are. I don't want to go with them. I'll, I'll go with, I'll stay with you. Now here's what's interesting. A lot of people like to comment on this. I don't want to speculate too much, but this really is fascinating. E- Egypt obviously kind of represents the world so often in scriptures, but there's something so beautiful about this. Here's this guy working with the enemy, the enemy of David. He participated in burning down Ziklag. You can imagine if you're David, like anyone, anyone who participated in that, I'm going to kill you. But David has mercy on this guy. You work with the enemy, but he, first, before he even said, I'll work with you, David shows mercy and kindness. Before he makes any sort of commitment to David or helping him out, David shows him mercy, shows him kindness. That obviously this guy goes, I, I like you more. I want to go with you, not them. Don't turn me over. I'll go with you. And it did something to this guy. And when you read that story, I, for me, it's like, how can you not see or feel the gospel in this? It's like, we're told that in scriptures, we are at one point in time at war with God, enemies of God, right? Like you and I, James talks about that, at war, enemies of God, but God who is rich in mercy. But God showed us mercy first before we ever said help. God shows him mercy, or David shows him mercy in this moment, in this time. You know, I, I have to point this out because there's just something in the scriptures, you will notice this, I promise you. There's something in the scriptures, whenever you see three days, three nights, whenever you see any sort of reference, the Bible's trying to paint this picture of death and resurrection. It just is. Isaac, three days, three nights. You're going to see this with Daniel, three days, three nights. You're going to see this Jonah, three days, three nights. Whenever you see three days, three nights in scripture, it's almost like, look at resurrection is coming. Or there's like this picture of like resurrection. This idea of I was Jonah three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. He's as good as dead. But then he spit out on on the third. There's this idea of the Egyptian. On the third day, they find him. On the third day, they feed him. On the third day, it says his spirit is revived. There's just these little pictures of that. And I think God was setting us up for this. Like throughout the Old Testament, God's preparing our hearts for, don't you get it? 
it. Three days, three nights. On the third day, the Son of Man will rise. On the third day, there'll be resurrection. And there's like these little pictures of death and resurrection throughout just the Old Testament, which I find absolutely beautiful. God's like preparing our hearts saying, though you were dead, I'll also make you alive. Like when I found you, you were as good as dead, but I made you alive. There's just something about these little, these little side stories, whenever you come across it, it's the gospel being repeated before the gospel actually comes on the scene in the person of Jesus. And it is so beautiful to me. So prepare our hearts for this. But David's like ready. He's like, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna engage with you, Lord. Let's go. I found this Egyptian guy. He's gonna lead us to them. This brings us to our fourth and final kind of thought. It's a little bit longer. Number four is this. We see he's inspired by the Lord, meaning he's gonna do something that I believe Jesus would do. So let's read. Verse 16, verse 16. So he had taken this Egyptian guy down with him. And behold, they were spread abroad over all the land. So the Malachites, these guys, they're eating and drinking and they're dancing. We won, right? Because of all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. I don't know why that just looks and sounds funny to me. Verse 18, David recovered all, all, everyone say all. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. Everyone say all. David also captured all the flocks and herds and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Just keep reading. Verse 21. Then David said to the 200 men, who had been too exhausted to follow David. So it goes back to them. It had been left at the brook of Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the, listen, then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David. Remember, David's mighty men weren't so mighty originally. All these worthless fellows, they said to David, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. That's all they get. Gonna, they get their kids back and their wife. But David said, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is, so, for as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall be alike. And he made it a statute and rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. All right, stay with me. So, David goes to fight them. They're dancing. They're partying. Look what we've done. They're not ready for battle. They overtake them. They wipe them out. 400 young men escape by camel. I don't know why this is just a side story. Interesting to me. But they, they take back everything. Everything's taken back, right? It says all, all of it. The people are so amazed. They go, this is David's spoil. David, you did it. Good job. David recovered all. Now, here's why this is fa- like fascinating to me. Everything that was lost, everything that was taken by the enemy was redeemed. Everything that was once gone is now found. Everything that was once taken by the enemy, they now have recovered. This is so clearly a picture of what was lost in the garden in the very beginning in Genesis. We see Jesus ultimately redeem and bring back at the cross. This idea though of like the enemy took it all, but a greater than David will one day come and recover all. The idea that says, no, 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 I know you think you belong to the enemies, but I've come to rescue. I've come to redeem you. I've come to set you free. There's this idea of like all, all, David brought back all. It's, it's just emphasizing the point that nothing was lost. Not one hair, not one item, not one, nothing. Everything that was taken by the enemy, God redeemed. That is just so encouraging in general. 
It's like all, and you think about this in Hosea or different parts of the scriptures, it's like whatever the years or whatever the locusts have taken and eaten, God will restore, God will redeem. You just see this idea of like whatever's taken, watch God bring back. Now, here's what's funny to me. The men who fought obviously go, look, we fought, we did it. David goes back to the 200 who, it's understandable, they're exhausted. Like they've had a long, you know, time. They're exhausted and they're like, no, no, they get nothing. They get none of the spoil. And remember, it's like David's going, but did you not just call us, this is David's spoil? I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Everyone participates in this. Everyone gets this. Even if you think they're worthy of it or deserve it or not, everyone participates, everyone gets this. This is like how I'm gonna run my kingdom. This is basically a foreshadow. Remember, David's about to be the king. He also doesn't want to upset these 200 people. Like, wait, what? But David's looking and going, I don't, know, I don't care if this offends you guys, you 400, you worthless fellows, it says about them. Everyone, everyone gets to participate in the benefits of what I've, this is David's spoil. Look what I've done. Okay, fine. Then everyone gets to share and participate in this. This is such an, a kingdom of God economic kind of a thing. It goes so counter what we're used to. It's this idea that it's a gift. Remember how he says this? God brought, delivered them into our hands. God preserved us. God did this. So everyone gets the benefit. The kingdom of God is so unique that way. I think a lot of us struggle with grace because of this. Like a lot of us struggle with just simply going, wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me I get to go to heaven or have eternal life simply because of what Jesus Christ has done for me? It's not what I do. It's what he did. Yeah. Wait, I get to have life and life everlasting. I get to have an abundance of life because of someone else's victory. Yeah. It's not my victory. It's David's, it's David's spoil, David's victory. So I get to benefit in that? Yeah. Is that not the gospel of, wow, Jesus did it? Jesus paid it all? The spoil belongs to Jesus? Like everything's his, and yet all of us get to benefit from it? This is such a kingdom of God economic, which doesn't make sense to us. We want to feel like, look what we did, look how we, even if you feel like you participated, again, the men get it, this is David's spoil. David strengthened himself in the Lord, David pursued, you know, we went, but this is David's victory, and everyone gets to benefit from it. And there is this idea that, wow, we get to benefit from the work of someone else. The gospel is you and I benefit from the work of someone else. We benefit from what Jesus Christ has done for us. I just get to receive it. It was hard for me to understand this, I feel like, in my teens. Because your whole life, it's like, you do bad things, bad things happen, you do good things, good things. And I just struggle with this idea of, like, wait, grace? Wait, grace? God just freely gives, and I just receive? And that's it? And it's like, that's too easy. Like, yeah, I know. But I want to feel like I work for it. Mm, to fight that, no. This is something you receive. This is so beautiful. Like God's kingdom is so different. This obviously reminds me of the parable in Matthew 20. If you remember the parable in Matthew 20, and this is like, this parable like frustrates, I think, a lot of people. In Matthew 20, there's a master who goes out and basically, hey, I need people to work in my fields. I'll pay you one dinars for the day. Come work in my field. Everyone's like, okay, I'll do that. Yeah, one dinar, that's great. I'll, I'll get whole dinars for working in the field. Yeah. So people come work. A few hours later, he's like, I need some more workers. I'll get a whole dinars if you work. But they're working a few less hours. And then he goes back out. Hey, anyone else? Like half day? Can I work for half day? You get a whole dinars. Yeah. Then people who work for like a couple hours, like, hey, end of the day, but I still need a couple more hours of work, one whole dinars. And the people who go, whoa, 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 in the parable, they're like, hey, master, wait. I thought we get a dinars for a whole day's worth of work. Them, they're only working a couple hours. How is this fair? And here's what it says in Matthew 20. And I want to point this out. Matthew 20, verse 14. This is what the master says. He says, I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your evil, or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. It's weird how much that parable, I think, frustrates a lot of us. <laughs> a lot of us for this story, like imagine that. You work a whole day, you get paid like 150 bucks or whatever. 
Then someone comes and works an hour and they get 150 bucks. <laughs> hey, how does that work? You're like, hey, but didn't you agree to 150 bucks for the whole day? Yeah, I did, but they work an hour. Yeah, but it's my money. It's my stuff. I can do what I want with it. Huh? Like this is, this is frustrating, but here's the idea of that. You're going, I'm a master. I can do what I wish. Don't, don't, don't be deceived for a second. Even, even for us, think about this. The, the very fact that we have breath in our lungs, a body to work, those things. We might go, look what I did, but that's not even us. Even the breath in our lungs and the physical body, the healthy body to work, that's still a gift of God. Everything's from him. Everything's his. Can I do what I want with my stuff? This idea though of like God going, do you not get it? That there will be some people who live their whole life for Jesus and they'll end up in the kingdom of God. There'll be some people who live maybe a few mi- minutes or moments or hours and they'll end up in the kingdom of God. Why? Because it's the grace of God that brings salvation. It's, it's, not, it's not your work. We got to stop on this trap that like, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look at all that I've done for Christ. Like, who, who cares? Look what Christ has done. Like we rest in his victory. We don't boast in our works. That's a terrifying thing. Because I have to boast in what I've done, the good things, then I, I might have to also boast in my failures. And I, don't, I don't want that. I don't want that. I want to boast in what Jesus Christ has done. Hey, it's just a gift that I'm even here. You know, I, I, I sometimes hear like, will we get to heaven and be mad that so-and-so's not there or this person's not? Will we be mad at God? It's like, I think you'll just be happy you're there. <laughs> like, I don't think anyone's gonna be like, God, how come? I think we're just like, I, I can't believe I made it. Wow, this grace thing, it's that, it's that good. Like, I just think it's that amazing. It's that good. Listen, what we see in David too, this idea of his kingdom, he's like, I'm gonna do my kingdom differently. I'm gonna, do my, I'm gonna do my kingdom in a way that just, we're gonna reward, we're all gonna benefit from this. It's my spoil, you said, and this is how I decide to use it. And this is how the kingdom of God is just so different. It's so unique. Listen, David, and here's, I don't wanna lose sight of this. David was really at a low point, I think. When you read 27, when you read 29, those chapters, you actually really feel like David's at this low point, not seeking God, not praying, but here in chapter 30, after suffering, after loss, he's like, God, I need you. I'm renewing my strength in you. And God, I want to be like you. You're good and you're generous to those who don't deserve it. I'm going to be good and generous to those who don't deserve it. I want to be like you in this moment. I'm going to be kind to those who don't deserve kindness. They didn't fight with us. They were cowards and stayed back, but I'm going to be kind because you've been so kind to me. When you've experienced the grace and love of Jesus, you can't but help share and give the grace and love of Jesus. You know, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Like mercy. The idea is like, if you show mercy, you're going to get some mercy. If you've experienced mercy, you're going to want to show mercy. Like, it's just something about that. You've experienced it, go, go share it. Go give it. Like we, freely we have received, freely give. There just is this idea in the scriptures. God has done it. We just rejoice in the finished work of Jesus. Listen, if you feel like you're at that last, like David, again, imagine 10 years, wave after wave, thing after thing. Is this the end? Is this the end? He doesn't really know. If you feel exhausted and wiped out by this, can I tell you, there is a promise about the wilderness. I just want to read this to you. We'll end with this. It's Isaiah 43, 19. God says, behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? Here's what it is. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. There's something about the wilderness season where God's like, know this. I'm going to make roads. I'm going to make rivers. I'm going to do something in the wilderness that could not have been done by yourself or on your own. If you feel like I'm tired, I'm exhausted, this punch after punch, it's wave after wave. Is this it? Is this it? It's in those moments, those darkest moments, dawn, like breakthrough, light is right around the corner. Don't throw in the towel. You have need of endurance. Continue. Watch God be gracious. Watch God be good. Watch God be like, yes, you sought me. You came to the end of yourself and you sought me. You didn't come to the end of yourself and give up. You actually sought me. You inquired of me. You engaged with me. You strengthened yourself in me. Yes, you get it. You get it. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Amen?
I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and we just want to close out our time by worshiping, by thanking, by praising, by saying, God, yes, thank you that though I don't deserve it, you, Jesus, gave us the victory. You defeated the enemy, and I participate in the spoil. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done. So why don't you just do this? Bow your head, close your eyes. Just kind of invite the Lord. Thank him a little bit. Spend some time praising him. But let's just spend some time kind of going to the Lord now and just preparing our hearts to worship and celebrate what he has done. Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for the fact that your son has brought us victory, that he defeated the enemy, that it's his spoil of, of war, that he gets it, but yet he says, freely I have, I have received, freely I give. That Jesus, we get to participate. We get to experience your kindness, your goodness, your generosity. Lord, we thank you that though we were undeserving, you gave. Lord, we need you. We just want to say thank you. Lord, that we would stop trying to do this on our own that we stop trying to take matters into our own hands, that God, we just strengthen ourselves and you are God, that we set aside time, seek you, hear from you, enjoy you, that Jesus, you would just build us up in those moments. So Lord, we thank you. We praise you. There is no one like you. Jesus, I ask that if there's anyone in here who has not experienced your grace and your goodness, that you pour that out on their lives, that they receive you, that they would taste and see that you are good. God, that they experience the free gift of salvation that is found in your son, Jesus. We thank you. We praise you. For anyone in this room who's just overwhelmed and exhausted and tired, and they go, is this the end? Is this the end? That Jesus, that they would look to you and seek you, call upon you, because you are near. You are near, Lord. And we just say thank you for that. We just want to praise you now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Why don't you guys just stand and let's just close out.